The content of this podcast is provided as general informational purposes only. It is not intended for, nor should it be used to replace professional behavior intervention and advice. This is Sissy. This is Susan, and we are Function Junction. Behavior matters. What behavioral matters are we going to talk about today, Sissy? We call ourselves Function Junction, right? Right. And it is all about the function. Right. And I sort of think this story is going to help us see that a little bit. I had a student who couldn't talk. He used picture exchange to let us know what he wanted. Can I make a point about that real quick? Yeah. Because as you know, I'm grading papers uh, this week, lots of papers. And I really want to make that distinction between non-vocal and non-verbal. This student of yours, he was non-vocal and non-verbal, right? So he didn't even have sounds, did he? No, not really. Not in a communicative way. Yeah. So some kids have sounds, right? And they can maybe approximate. So we would not say they were non-verbal. We would say they were, they were well, they, if they don't have any sounds, they would be non-vocal, right? If they have sounds, they would be non-verbal. Does that make sense in your brain? Right. Because the vocal could carry some communication. Right. But it's not verbal like we think of words. Yeah. And I just right. see those terms being used interchangeably. And I just wanted to kind of make that point that those are Two different things. Anyway, go on. Sorry to interrupt. And the concept of nonverbal yet, (laughs) because Mm -hmm. people on the spectrum begin to talk at unusual times that you would never expect. Um, Anyway, he used pictures to let us know what he wanted, the picture exchange system. But what was happening was he was playing on the playground and then taking off and running into the school building And of course, I would have to run after him because I was concerned he was going to run straight through the building into the street (laughs) on the other side of the building. So I had to. Valid concern. Almost every time he was going to the water fountain. And so I figured the function was uh, wanting to drink water. Now, thinking of, is that the function? I could have simply tried to stop him from running, right? Nope. Sure. No running. Going to reward you for not running. Block him, block him. Yeah, yeah. Lots of lots of physicality to that. Lots of blocking. Lots of people getting hurt, falling down. Yeah, but is there anything wrong with wanting a drink of water when you've been outside? <laughs> no, not at all. No, there is not. So we made sure that get a drink was on the front of his pecs binder when we went outside. We reminded him that as we went outside, remember, if you want to drink a water, you can let me know. And of course, the first couple of times we had somebody there to sort of prompt him, you know, you could see him head in that direction, and they would bring the binder over, make sure he asked for the drink of water, went in, and it worked, started working, started working really great. Then we also decided, maybe we'll just fill up a bottle of water on our way outside. (laughs) There's a thought. You know, why not? You could take a bottle of water out with you. So we stopped at the water fountain, made sure we had some nice cold water when he was outside. He would drink that entire bottle of water while he was outside. Didn't try to run into the building when he had that water bottle. So we definitely had hit the function, which is pretty critical. Sure. And what I love about that too, is you get multiple trials then, right? Because you've got the water bottle and he can ask 10, 12, 15 times during recess, which means skill acquisition occurs a lot faster, which means generalization occurs a lot faster. So that's great that you got all those. Well, that is a very good point. However, I did not make him ask for the water once he had the water in the water (laughs) bottle because he had filled the water bottle up and he had carried it out there. 
That would have given me a lot of trials. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's great. I love that concept. If I, I would have definitely. I do that at, you know, snack and mealtime, you know, yeah. I just give them a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And paras and teachers get mad at me. I had one para tell me, just give him the whole Cheeto. And I was like, no, he's going to have to ask for it anyway. This is how we make him understand the power of communication. But mostly I wanted him to not run away and yeah. not put himself sure. in danger or scare me. Um, sure. So he would drink that entire bottle of water. And the other thing that we figured out was his afternoons were much better. He wow. was less grumpy. He was more focused on his work. Uh, you know, there wasn't necessarily some data I was taking that gave a clear look at that, but it happened and everyone noticed. Everybody was like, wow, he's, he's doing a lot more work now. Wow, he's not so grumpy in the afternoons. We sort of realized he needed the water. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you said that. I was with a little girl at early childhood special education program focusing on kids who need a lot of structure, structured learning classroom. And uh, there's a little girl there and she's so cute. Her name is Lizzie. And Lizzie makes lots of noises. And so I tasked the teacher to take some ABC, antecedent behavior consequence data, and some 15-minute interval data. And uh, she definitely screams when other kids scream. So there's a little girl who's a half-day kiddo. She's there in the morning, and she looked at the data and realized, really, when this little girl screams, Lizzie screams. And really, it's only happening in the morning. It's not as bad as I thought. I said, you know, I'm so proud of you for taking data. Thank you so much. This is really helpful. And she goes, well, it's helpful to us because we end the day and feel like it, Lizzie was just screaming all day, but now we've really realized it's not happening as much, right? Kind of like Charlie and it's only happening in the morning and we can give her alternatives and she won't let anybody put anything on her head, not a headband or anything. So she doesn't wear earphones, but we talked about just modeling, you know, covering your ears, right? So when someone screams and the paras and the teacher can role play it and model it and they can teach Lizzie to at least cover her ears rather than screaming. Thinking about ABC data and I know that sometimes when a parent or a BCBA or someone like that asks someone to take ABC data, it can feel a little intimidating more, more than just getting the data. If you say he ran in from the playground and a parent says, well, what was the antecedent? It feels almost accusatory. That's how it feels, but it's not. It is simply looking at, we know what the behavior is. We need to know what the antecedent and the consequence are so we can figure out sure. how to make this better. So, you know, if a BCBA or a parent says to you, well, what was happening right before? Or what was the antecedent? Right. It doesn't mean they're saying you did something that made him run into the building out of, you know, off the playground. It is simply, how are we going to fix this running behavior? So thinking about he, you know, would drink all that water and feel a lot better in the afternoon. Now, I could have, if I wanted to be very analytical, in the ABA piece, I could have pulled the water back out, sure. you know, and not given him access to the water and tested to see, is he now going to have a grumpy afternoon? Sure. Why would I do that? That would be mean. You know, there, there are times for research and there are times that we say we have an answer here and we're going to keep this answer going. Sure. Absolutely.
Right. And that's, you know, you're not doing a changing condition. You're not doing, you're not publishing research, right? So, I mean, you don't, you can test it, but like you said, why would you do that? And then have to chase and all of that. So yeah, better to, to teach the functionally equivalent alternative behavior. Yeah. Occasionally life will test it for you. Like the water bottle doesn't come outside, you know, mm-hmm. you know, that whole functional communication training is so important. It reminds me of a young kid that I worked with. He was a middle school kid and it was in a really small school district who had very, very limited resources. And so it was a a life skills classroom, which is like a self-contained program for kids with developmental delays and other disorders. And he had very limited communication skills. And so one of his jobs was in the morning, the teacher would write on the board, sort of like a narrative daily schedule, right? So it would say like, today is... Tuesday, uh, March 30th. Today is a day that we're going to go outside. And then when we come back, we're going to clean up, wash our hands and, and use the restroom and have a snack. And after that, we're going to study about presidents, you know, and it was like a narrative kind of social narrative kind of visual schedule. And John, my kiddo's uh, job was to type all of this into the computer onto the keyboard. And then he would send it in an email to all the parents because the parents, a lot of the kids were nonverbal and non-vocal. And so a lot of times the kids would come home and mom and dad would say, well, how was your day? And they wouldn't say anything or they might utter a one word response like fine. And so this way the parents knew what they did all day. And so they could talk about like, did you have fun outside? What did you play on? Tell me what president you learned about, things like that. And so again, it was very limited resources. They had one computer in the classroom and it was old. So every time um, John would be typing, a mouse, the mice might freeze or a keyboard might stop working and he'd start banging the keyboard or banging the mouse. Well, of course, everybody rushes over and fixes it for him because that's their only keyboard and only computer, right? So Paras were constantly like, no, John, no, no, hold on, wait, let me fix it, let me fix it. And so what was John getting? We banging the keyboard and the mouse, he was getting help and he was getting lots of attention. So we said, you know, maybe we could teach him to sign help. Yeah, but this pair is with this kid in a wheelchair. Teacher's got her back to the classroom and she literally doesn't have eyes in the back of her head. This pair might not see it. And so we talked about a help card. Well, again, you know, we held it up. They might not see it, blah, blah, blah. So in Texas, we used to have these restaurants called Pon- Poncho's Mexican Buffet, right? Wasn't it a buffet? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. if you wanted more food, you would raise this little Mexican flag at your table. And that was the key for the waiter to know that you were ready for more of whatever. And so we kind of started laughing, talking about that, but we ended up creating a help flag. You know, if he raised the help flag, the teacher could kind of see it out of the corner of her eye, right? And the para would probably see it. And so we just taught him, you know, raise that flag and we'll give you help. And so if he raised it, we had to be on our game and immediately reinforce with help. Otherwise, he's just going to go back to banging the keyboard and the, and the mouse. And so it was one of those examples of, you know, like you said, a functional equivalent replacement behavior, functional communication training, but it had to work in that classroom, right? It had to, it couldn't just be raise your hand or use a help card because he wouldn't. And so if he raised his hand and somebody wasn't there immediately, he'd go back to banging. So the flag kind of was the cue of, yeah, it, it, come now, you know, help me now. So um, I like that story and it really helped him with his communication. And, you know, it was one of those activities that the parents loved. They loved getting the email. And 
Of course, there was a conversation about, well, we just can't have him on the computer. No, this is a great school skill for him and the parents love it. And there's really nobody else in the classroom who can do this skill. So let's get through it. Let's, let's get through the problem. And, you know, I was in, I don't remember, but maybe I was on a Zoom meeting with a parent, but that conversation came up again about, oh, it was. So he worked really hard and he worked for 15 minutes and he really wants the computer, but the teacher says, no, it's too hard to get him off of it. And that's that whole relinquishing the reinforcer. And, you know, my analogy is always, well, I had to get out of bed this morning and I didn't want to, but I did because you know what? I know I'm going to get to bed, go to bed again. You know, having that whole idea of just, we'll take it in a way because it's too hard. It's just too much of a hassle. That's an adult issue, right? So sometimes you just have to work through it and problem solve. But anyway, a little soapbox for the day. Yeah. Well, and I also think that when you don't know how a child's going to respond, you, it, it creates some anxiety in yourself. And so you begin to problem solve for yourself more than for the child. And you say, we're just not going to have a computer in here because I'm yeah. not going to deal with him getting so out of control that other people are, are harmed or, or we lose an entire instructional day because he's having a tantrum. And you could have done the same thing with Jerry, right? You could have just said, well, we can't have outdoor recess because he, yeah. runs, you know, or just because he runs outside. away. We, he just won't be able to go outside. It's a safety but, issue. Yeah. So yeah. Going back to that. And if you had, if they had simply like held his hands down when he was banging or, moved him away from the computer or just tried to interrupt that without understanding the function is he wants help. He never would have learned. He would have been a, a keyboard banger <laughs> the rest of his life. Yes, exactly. And a mouse banger. Yes, exactly. So it's all about function, but it's all about teaching the communicative alternative. You know, I have so many stories about that whole relinquishing thing about, have I ever told the story about the PBS kids thing? The kid with the PBS know, kids? You, you mentioned, I've heard PBS, but go ahead. Yeah. Tell us. So, I had a little boy in one of my school districts in an elementary classroom geared toward kids who have autism and other developmental disorders. This kid was really independent with doing his work and he had a visual schedule and he had a structured work system. And so he did three tasks and then the icon on, on the schedule said break. And he said, PBS kids? And teacher said, no, no PBS kids. You can play with these stuffed animals. So he has a little meltdown and he starts ripping the heads off the stuffed animals. So then he goes to timeout. And he's having a fit and time out. And I'm just watching. I'm just watching this whole sequence of events. And I'm like, okay. So he finally calms down. Teacher says, break is over. Go check schedule. And he was one of those kids, Sissy, like you have. Work is play and play is work, you know. So he really, it wasn't hard for him to go back and do more work tasks. So does his work tasks, says break on the schedule. Same thing. PBS kids? No, sir. You may not have PBS kids. You can have the stuffed animals. So we go through this whole thing. So in this process, I finally said, tell me why he can't have PBS kids. And same thing. Well, he just won't get off. And it's a tantrum and it's, you know, it's too much. And he, you know, he, you know, bust the computer, blah, blah, blah. I said, can I have him for like 15 minutes? And she's like, sure, do what you need to do. So I'm like, oh gosh. Okay. So I said, okay, first work, then break. And he goes, PBS kids. I said, yes, five minutes, PBS kids. And he was like, work, 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 get it through. So I brought him over to the computer, I had the pair set up PBS kids. They're all looking at me with their hands on their hips. Like, oh, who is this lady? She has no idea what he's going to do. So I set a timer and I, on my phone and I said five minutes and he I made him press start. And then at four minutes, I showed him a post-it note with four, three, two, and then at zero, I drew a stop sign. Was he thrilled? No. 
Did I get a little slap? Yes. Did I get off the computer? Yes. We go back. We do the same thing. Three work tasks. He's ready to roll because he gets PBS kids. Same thing the next time. Same. Five, four, three, two, one. Stop sign. Did he whine? Yeah. Did he reluctantly close out PBS kids? Yeah. Did I get a meltdown? No. And so that's that idea of you just got to work through it, right? Sometimes you take away these reinforcers and then you've lost all learning. I mean, learning opportunities because well, what's the kids? Why bother? It's not there. I see that happen a lot. It, it was this morning, in fact, when I was talking to a school psychologist about that whole notion of it's too much trouble. And so I just think it's important for all of us out there, therapists, you know, special ed teachers, parents, um, whoever you are, you know, be willing to work through the behavior because they're really willing to work for what they want. And if we take that away, then we've just kind of kind of compromised their quality of life. Right. Right. You know, why would they ever bother working? Why would they ever bother doing things in the community if they don't have a reason? Right. Your reinforcers have to be reinforcing. (laughs) (laughs) Stuffed animals might not do it for, if he loves stuffed animals, that'd be great. No, we don't have PBS kids, but we have stuffed animals, but he didn't like stuffed animals. Tore them up. So, right. It wasn't even, you know, we talked last week, I think about preference assessments and reinforcer assessments. The stuffed animals were nowhere on a preference assessment, you know? And so anyway, that's just a, it's a kind of ties back to your guy about that. Again, just walk, working through it, not taking away recess, but working through it by giving him functional communication. Same with my little guy with being able to ask for help. And same with this kid. He didn't get functional communication, but we put limits and he had access to reinforcement. So Anyway, just a quick story for you. Well, the other piece we were talking about, work is play and play is work, it made me think. I mean, I know we talked about that in another podcast, but something that almost anyone could probably use, I would do for my students, particularly those on the spectrum, if they were getting a little agitated and I didn't know why they were agitated, I might send them to their workstation. Right. Because I knew they would enjoy that and it would have a calming effect. And then I might give me a minute or two to look around and say, what is bothering this student? How can I help them work through that? So sometimes if you if you know there is something that your person will do, your child or your adult that you love that is engaging in challenging behaviors, that'll give you a minute that's calming to them and give you a minute to figure it out. Do that. You know, totally agree. Totally agree. And, you know, when kids are in distress and maybe it's that they want something, right? Maybe they're tra- not trying to get away from something, but they're trying to get something they need or want and they don't know how to communicate it. So many times I'll just say, what do you want? <laughs> like, exactly. what do you want? Show me what you want. I'll never forget. I was, you know, I was in the classroom with a little general gen ed kindergartner and, you know, you and I have had different experiences than a first year kindergarten teacher. Right. So kid kind of slaps you on the arm. They took view that as physical aggression and we view it as communication. So I was standing there and he came up to me and he patted me on the arm. They're like, no, don't hit Dr. Catlett. I go, I just looked at the teachers and I just looked at him and I said, what do you want? And he like took me by the hand and showed me what he wanted. And they're like, he cannot hit people. I said, y'all really, I, I've worked with kids who don't even work in public school. That to me was not a hit, you know, but our perspective and our experience is way different than a first year kindergartner, right? So she's going to call him as, you know, what does she say? He's uh, abusive to me. <laughs> abusive. It did not leave a mark. It didn't hurt. It's not abusive. But you know, again, she's 22. She's a, 
you know, she hasn't had experience. And so her perception is her reality. Yeah, she doesn't want anybody putting hands on anybody. And, you know, you can appreciate that, but it's a, it's a behavior we're going to have. Yes. The other piece about him getting that water at lunch and then having a better day, you know, the brain is more than 70% water. Your most of the organs of your body uh, are a high percentage of water it was helping his whole system. That's, you know, I mean, that's not, I don't think water is an intervention, but um, it turned out to be somewhat helpful. Communication is. Communication is an intervention. He knew what he needed. He knew he needed water. He just didn't know how to get it. So we showed him how to get water whenever he needed it. And I really felt like it was pretty functional to fill up your own water bottle and take your own water bottle outside. Totally. You know? Totally. Like you said, I, you bring water wherever you go. I try to bring water wherever I go. Oh, I always have a bottle of water in my purse. Yep. Yep. So do you have a, a test question? Let's do a question. This question is thinking about the story of Jerry running from the playground. Let's say Sissy had specific instructions on how to help Jerry ask to go get a drink and made sure other adults understood how to implement the plan. If others use the plan as described so that Jerry asked to go get a drink instead of running away from the playground almost every time they were outside, this demonstrates which characteristic of ABA? A, effective, B, conceptually systematic, C, generality, or D, technological. So, you know, I think if you're sitting for the test, And I do have a friend who sat for the test yesterday and did not pass. And I think it may have been because of her ability to highlight the relevant information in the test question, right? So, you know, she might have looked at this question and said, well, yeah, it was effective. It worked, right? He was getting, he was requesting water. And, you know, it was conceptually systematic because everybody was implementing in the same way. But I think the key and the relevant information is that it talks about giving specific instructions on how to ask for a drink and others being able to implement it. And that, you know, we haven't really talked about mastery or um, the student's ability to generalize, but we have talked about the ability for other adults to implement the intervention. And to me, the best answer would be technological. Yes, it was effective. Yes, it was conceptually systematic, but we really didn't look at the student's behavior with regard to generality. But I do think that the relevant information in the test question is technological such that it gave specific instructions on how to ask for a drink and have others implement it. What do you think? Yes, that's where I was going with it too. We aren't doing down and dirty research and trying to make sure we've done absolutely everything correctly. But when I'm looking at the questions and I'm thinking, what do I know about technological? I know it has to have specific instructions that can be implemented by others and that, that, it's, that the instructions are so well written that anyone could follow them. And that's what we see in the question. So the answer for this one is D, technological. Very so. nice. Very nice. So again, highlighting that relevant information, you know, we talk about doing that with our students, making sure they understand the relevant information um, same with you taking the test. You've got to really, really read the test question. So we hope you like that story. Continue listening. If you have any comments about this episode, please don't hesitate to rate and review on the podcast 
app that you're using. Hope you all have a great rest of the day. See you next time. Talk to you next time. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. See you later. See you later.